Welcome to Sonata Secrets with Henrik Tilham, unlocking the world of classical music. I played this three intermezzi of Brahms opus 117 in my first year of music conservatory and it was like a first glimpse of a new world to me, with these late romantic harmonies that are advanced and rich but still feel fresh and exciting. And I was most drawn to this second intermezzo. I mean the first one in E flat major, like a lullaby, it's lovely but also more linear in a way. And the same goes for the third in C-sharp minor, but from a darker starting point. This one has much more motion to it. There's a fluidity in the figuration. It's dreamy, but also unsettled in a way. Like somehow I still feel unfulfilled in the end. So I can make it work as a standalone piece, but of course it works great as middle movement in the set. And I think it embodies most clearly the way that music philosopher Edward Hanslick described the set as monologues with a thoroughly personal and subjective character, striking a pensive, graceful, dreamy, resigned and elegiac note. So let's start with the texture. We have this kind of original configuration with continuous 32nd notes, left hand takes over, uh, fills in when the right hand has break. And we have this like chromatic minor second upbeat. And that's an important idea that I'm going to return in the piece. So the right hand has it from above as a part of the melody. And then the left hand, like all the time, it provides a little bit of extra tension there. And actually we have a melody in this. So in my addition here, it's an extra beam on the, the first beat in the bar. It may be different in different editions. But even when there's not extra beams, I think it's very clear that it's a melody. It's just too unnecessary to write it out all the time. So it's a good exercise to just play the melody that the top line here and the bass. So you get the skeleton of the music there. Uh, that's the melody and the foundations of the harmony. So let's add the figuration and see what harmony we get. So this a uh, tense diminished triad. And it's resolving to a B flat minor. So it is a tonic, but it's in first inversion. So it's not really stable. This would be the stable. And then we have this gesture is uh, going between this. So the uncertainty is there again. That's the same chord. And now as an answer to this, we plunge directly into a circle of fifth sequence. 
And it's, uh, so it's quite uncertain, the first two phrases or the gestures. And now the answer is kind of reassuring. We get these nice lush chords. So you can see uh, in the bass, the circle of eighth progression. All the way to F. And what do we have here? B flat minor seven, E flat minor seven, A flat dominant seven, to D flat major seven, to G flat major seven, and then C half diminished to F7. And F7 is a dominant to B flat, but we can rest on the dominant here for some time. nice movement, just kind of crawling chromatically down. And this is where we would expect a cadence to B flat minor to the tonic. But here we get this super nice deceptive cadence. To G flat minor. So G flat major would be like a normal deceptive cadence. Um, that's like classical stuff, but this is a typical kind of late romantic, this median relationship, B flat minor and G flat. But if you change one more step uh, to a G flat minor, because G flat major is part of B flat minor scale, but if you change to the minor, you get like a darker version of it. And you never have this in like Mozart or Beethoven or even Chopin, but in Brahms in Beyond, you get these types of deceptive cadences. And also there's a big change in texture here, which puts an emphasis on this point, like something's happening here. And it turns. So this is just a diminished, kind of really unsure, and then... So that just brings back a second round of the melody. This we recognize. It's a circular fifth sequence again, but it's a different one. So we get a new starting point, C7 to F7. And actually all the points on this sequence are dominant seventh chord. So they're not diatonic. It's like a chromatic modulatory circular fifth sequence. So it's just, it's the same pattern in the bass, but every chord is a dominant seven pointing further on. C7, F7, B flat 7, so on. You can continue this uh, forever. But we, we get out uh, somewhere here on the D flat. So this is a C7, 
that points to F minor. So that's like where we're modulated to after this. And we get the resolution to F minor. But it's only for, <laughs> for a brief time, a 30 second note. And then we get like a few more bars that are close to the section. Uh, and it's like an extra round. So F minor, but then straight back. flat 7 and it's kind of reflecting on this not sure where it's going some diminished and it seems like the D flat 7 was pointing to the G flat minor here uh, we get the tonic pedal point and this is the same material as before it's just an extra round of closing it but we're in this weird harmonic place and we get one more surprise, of course, in the end. So instead of D flat minor, we get a major chord, it's an E double flat major. When you play the piano, it looks like a D major, just different spelling. So again, you flip one note from G flat minor, you get the major chord. And then the right hand resolves down to the minor, but the left hand <laughs> still plays the major. So we get this like a major seven chord or a mix between them. And now we're done with the first section of this piece. So here comes secondary idea. That's uh, again contrasting material. It's in major, D flat major, and it sounds like this. The harmony is quite stable, just 5-1, 5-1, but the notes come on syncopated beats, like it's offset rhythmically, so it's a different kind of instability instead. Like both the bass and the melody comes. It's kind of hard, like you almost fool yourself where the beats are. It could be, like if you don't care, if you're not careful, it can sound like. Like it's, it's kind of tricky to get it, the emphasis right, but that's the idea. It's, it's a sophisticated idea. elegant uh, arpeggios it's just on the border like what's possible to hold if you have a like a relatively big hand as I have and now we get an answer to this material it's again contrast material now the rhythmic uh, the pulse is very clear on the beats just straight uh, notes but now the harmony is unstable again, so... So we actually have two melodic voices here. Uh, let's just play them one at a time with the bass. So in the middle we have in uh, both right and left hand the 16th notes. 
very beautiful these lines uh, and it's a lot of suspensions uh, like to the chords on the beat like every note okay the top voice Also melodically interesting so both of these together is almost too not too much to keep track of but this is the richness that is in this music so resolving to F major kind of a new surprise but then immediately flips back to D flat with this material And actually, so I've said this is a new contrasting uh, idea, but if we look at the melodic material. Now this is straight notes, but it's actually the same material as the first idea. The melodic contour there, but this is straight note values and in major, so it's a completely new attire, but it's only actually one core idea. So the second round. Get a new note, note here, it's a C flat, makes the D flat to a D flat 7. Keep here. So, so D flat 7 points to D flat, and we get there via this super nice double appoggiatura, like a bittersweet chromatic leading notes. And then the same answer. Let's actually play one voice at a time here. The middle voice. In the end, they actually split um, for the last bar to play in parallel six. And the top voice. And the top voice is really more of an accompanying voice leading. So together. And here we get back the material from the first section, the 32nd notes and this melody. But here starts like a developmental section for a page where Brahms takes these ideas and textures and experiments with it and um, the left hand gets an expanded role which is an inversion of the right hand and it kind of climbs upwards. Very uncertain in the harmony. intensifies at the end and then it culminates in this like a breakthrough of a new compound of the texture with these nice waterfalls up and down the piano very pianistic and subito piano I think
like it's involving all the registers that gets to say something. And also these chromatic leading notes, that's just one at a time before. Now they kind of have a more important function as part of a scale almost. So, or they turn into passing notes. Very cool, and it also reminds me of Tchaikovsky, like he likes to use chromatic leading notes in a similar way, I think. Anyway, when we get up here the last time, this is C7. It gets consolidated with longer note values, again all the registers get to say something, and it transforms from this diminished to you change the chromatic and you end up on an F7. Really cool way. If I play them at the same register, you see how it goes like that. Anyway, F7 in the end. And now, pianissimo, we get this amazing place, delicatissimo. goes gradually back to the kind of recapitulation return of the first section. Um, just the harmony here, F in the bass and then the diminished chord. It's like the F7 flat 9. The G flat wants to go down. And then, like it's a scale, but it's filled out with it's just amazing piano writing. Like it feels so good in the hand to play this. And now changing the harmony here. So this is the return of the melody, but it's a little bit deceptive start because it's a new harmony. Instead of the, the B minor first inversion, we get That's seven first inversion. And what happens here is really amazing, like mastery of composition. Because when we get to the circular fifth sequence, that's the same, it just starts from a slightly different harmonic starting point, but it makes a big difference. Like it feels like everything is falling into place. So just on the top here, it's different from the first time. It's a subtle difference. The first time it's because we get the B flat minor seven to E flat minor seven, but the second time it's B flat seven to E flat minor. It's a clearer point harmonically, and it just makes this difference that, okay, this was the point of it. Uh, the uncertainty, it's less certain here. And then this kind of falls into place. This is the same, we 
recognize it. And now this deceptive cadence to G flat minor. This time it's not as unexpected because we've heard it one time. But then... So we get an extra nice scale also, super nice. It's like an echo from the transition after the development. I think you can do a lot of rubato here, at least I do it. So now we get the second round of the phrase here in the recapitulation. And this time we find yet a new way. And I think this is because we have this little bit of difference from the starting point. It's like we found a way through this tension and now we can imagine a way that leads to a happy ending. And that's what the music tells me here when it's suddenly going to the major. It's a C flat major first inversion, kind of the Neapolitan. But it, it's just very hopeful. And so it just takes this idea and runs with it and uh, uh, grows forward and upwards. There's some lot of tension to overcome actually. So it's a very chromatic sequence in the end here. This is another like breakthrough with the texture. Now the heavy melody notes take over on the beats. Just B7 and then. So it's a tritone shift here from B7. Uh, let's see. To so the right hand actually plays the same. It's a tritone, two notes. And those work either with a B as B7 or with the F as F7. It's, it's a special type of relationship and Brahms just puts it to use here because uh, it's, it's like a really fresh shift that's still uh, in the realm of possibilities harmonically. So now F7, that's close to our home key of B flat. And after the storm settles here, it feels like we found a way through it and we will end up in a happy place. Which is... B flat major. So not minor as before, now we're in major mode. And it's the idea from the second section. out here just a nice ornament arpeggio now like a shift here median shift to D flat major but then back to B flat so B flat and D flat <laughs> some kind of median relationship we also have a F pedal the whole uh, coda here
Mm. Brahms writes Espressivo so, and Forte. It's really, you can enjoy this major mode. And it's going around. This is like an augmented six chord, some form of it. Back to D flat. Augmented six, back to B flat. But here we're diminuendo, diminuendo and molto ritardando. And here. So now F7. It's a final move to the dominant. We're gonna go back. But here, it's like we need to be reminded that this is actually a tragedy and not a comedy. So it doesn't end happily in major that we might have thought at this point. Because we get the D flat. That's kind of the hint of minor. And then it gets, gets lower and lower and darker. And here, the D flat kind of takes over. And the final move back, it's super deep. is a pure B flat minor and all the registers are involved that's just the proportion of the drama so it's a little bit yeah it's it's a lot happening all the time goes back and forth and yeah you think it would end up nice but it turns it makes a turn for the worse in the very end thanks for watching Sonata Secrets and the Patreon shout out goes to I